I don't think consumers differentiate between 85, 95, and 90. People only differentiate between zero and hundred. At the top, there's only room for one, right? I believe in India, 80% of celebrity usage in advertising that I see is not thought. Creating is easy. What to create is a million-dollar question. Hi, you're listening to Marketing with Vani, in which I speak to marketing gurus. Together, we decode how marketing works in the real world to grow your business. Copycats be warned. This episode is about challenging the herd mentality. We're talking challenger thinking, the secret sauce to creating a whole new playbook. Masters Union, a new age business school, is leading the way with its bold approach to education. They're breaking category codes with hands-on real-world problem solving instead of snooze-fest lectures. Pratham Mittal reveals how they're using challenger marketing tactics to solve pain points in ways traditional schooling could never imagine. If you want to learn how challenger thinking can help your brand stay on top of the game, then listen on. I thought you fitted in perfectly with what we call challenger marketing. or challenger thinking in the sense that what you're doing with masters union is very different from the typical model of an mba and why don't we just start by talking about that tell us about how masters union came about to be and what is your thinking what prompted you to do what you're doing with masters union so masters union sort of comes from my experience in my own business school time so when i was in college i went to the university of pennsylvania and as any other course any other student everyone has to do 40 hours of credits right 40 courses essentially and each course is sort of unique in its own way but after college what i realized is that all that i remember from all those 40 courses were maybe two or three courses where the professors you know who taught slightly differently more often than not it was just them in a blackboard and them speaking to a bunch of students But there were two or three professors who really took it upon themselves to give us an experience which almost immersed us in the curriculum. And I always give this example where you know our accounting professor and accounting is one of the most boring courses in terms of attendance. It's really at the bottom. What this professor did was he did not teach us anything. He would tell us to find a food truck or an equivalent of dhaba outside an apartment outside our campus, and then ask us to completely audit their books of accounts. And that was very interesting. because you know we hadn't even studied accounts so how did he expect us to even go and audit the food trucks books of accounts but he told us that hey listen why don't you just study accounting from these couple of books or you know youtube videos and then just go and do what you can do best you know whatever is possible so we like okay let's give it a shot so what used to happen was once you have a real client once you have a real life scenario where you have to sort of base your learning around then automatically you are motivated to learn yourself imagine you're in a medical college you'd see patients from day 1 so when you're learning about influenza when you're learning about some disease you can actually see that disease play out in real life every day and that's what keeps you motivated to learn but in our colleges what happens is that accounting the way it's currently taught it's so sort of out of touch with reality we don't even know why we are studying inventory management we don't see how it actually impacts the real user and that's why we find it boring to be honest that one professor's class we never missed because we would go to class and each team would come in and present their findings about what they found lacking in the books of accounts of food truck a b c d right and i remember our food truck was this lady who used to run a korean barbecue kind of a food truck 
And uh, we realized that she had this excess inventory that she had always kept with herself, right? And she had this thing that, hey, listen, you never know when the demand will rise or the demand will decrease. So I want to keep this excess inventory with me. But, you know, what we were able to tell her through auditing her books of accounts was that, hey, listen, if you just decrease your inventory by 30%, you know, that directly feeds into your profits. That's something that you can only realize once you actually go deep into the books. She had never done that. We in an accounting 101 class would have never done that. But just because we had a real life scenario and we wanted to help her, we ended up learning about perhaps the most boring part of even accounting, which was inventory management. And that really sort of changed my outlook towards education. So I thought if one course could be so transformative for me, how about if all 40 of those courses had been similarly immersive, had been similarly drawn from real life? And that's really what uh, gave our team the idea for Masters Union. This is absolutely fabulous. I wish... All colleges were exactly that. All professors were exactly that. And come to think of it, I don't remember anything from my MBA college. I mean, I'm from MDI Gurgaon and it is considered one amongst the best. And I wouldn't imagine that even the learning at uh, IIMs is very different. It isn't for a fact. But you're absolutely right. What one just learns from books, one never remembers. So I have my own anecdotes to share. But tell us more about Master's Union. So how did you use this experience of yours? And then what did you do with it? It's essentially a business school at the end of the day. We have an MBA program. We have an undergrad program now as well. And here we try to teach differently. We try to immerse the students in real life scenarios. And the best way to do that, what we realized, is that to actually get students to build small businesses. So essentially, as a 16-month course, we have divided the course into eight terms. And in each term, students have to build a small business. So in term one, everyone has to build a dropshipping business. In term two, everyone has to build a YouTube media page, a YouTube channel and monetize it. In term three, they all have to do a blockchain layer two protocol. In term four, they all have to do a cloud kitchen. In term five, they all have to do a Kickstarter. So in each term, you're building these small businesses. And as you build these businesses, you really learn you know, what business is all about. And all the courses that are taught, the evaluation for those courses comes from how exactly you have leveraged that content in running that business in real time, right? So just to give you an example, let's talk about accounting again. In term one, there's an accounting 101 course, right? Where you're taught basics of accounting, fundamentals, etc. Now, as you're running your dropshipping business, you have to maintain and create your books of accounts. Now, whatever you've learned in class, you actually have to use that to maintain your own books of accounts. And that's where all the learning becomes very real world and solidifies. It sort of becomes a part of who you are because you've applied it right in the evening and not waited two years till you graduate. And then you may or may not use that content in your workplace. 100%. I wish we were taught like that as well. And you're absolutely right. What one does, one never forgets. And in fact, in part of our undergrad program, working at a McDonald's on the shop floor is actually one of the assignments. Because what you get to see is how a large conglomerate works from the bottom up. You know, what system thinking actually means. When you become a part of the system, only then do you realize. And then you come back to class and actually deconstruct and actually discuss with your classmates exactly how could McDonald's have bettered its supply chain? How could have McDonald's done their HR policies better? You become part of the system, only then will you learn the system. Or then can you build that. Fantastic. How do you enable stuff like this, Pratham? Like, it's one thing to have a fa fabulous idea. You've got this idea, you've seen this play out in the US. It's another thing to come back to your home country and actually set up an institution, put everything, put it together brick by brick, 
and put together a model that actually works and delivers to your dream. Tell us, how did you go about doing that? So actually, I think it was a lot easier than you're making it sound to be. <laughs> because I'll tell you, hiring professors in India, like traditional professors in India, is incredibly hard because India just doesn't have enough PhDs. So building a traditional college is very hard. But the way we were building it, all we needed were practitioners like yourself to give their time. And what we thankfully did initially was we built our campus in the middle of the business park. So in the same building that we are in, we also have BCG's headquarters. We also have WPP's headquarters. We also have Rekid's headquarters. We also have EY's headquarters and Gartner's headquarters and Bank of America's headquarters. They're literally upstairs. Like right now, I'm at the ground floor where the campus is. And these are all the next 12 floors above me. So it's very easy for these practitioners to come downstairs and teach and spend time with the students and help them run those businesses. And it's very easy for students to just go upstairs and shadow these folks as they go about their daily lives, right? And so generally, whenever I have gone to ask and request somebody to come and teach, I think I have a 99% success rate. Like nobody ever says no. They might say, hey, listen, I can't teach for 20 hours. Maybe I'll teach for two hours. But nobody ever says no. I didn't have to go through the AICT and the UGC and all of those accrediting bodies of which there are 18 today in the country. I didn't have to ask government for permissions for land and building and all of that stuff. So in, in many ways, it was easier than building a traditional university or a traditional college. So so this is an MBA-like program. Would, it, would this be called a degree? I don't know if you realize, but I am Ahmedabad until three years ago was not getting a degree. I just became a university and only in 2018. It's called a PGP, postgraduate program. So essentially, it's a certificate or a diploma course. So these are all just nomenclatures. They don't really mean much. At the end of the day, what matters is two things. One is, are the employers ready to accept it? And the second thing is that in case I want to apply for a visa for a different country, will my certificate be counted as education? Right? Those are the only two places where, you know, whether it's a degree or a diploma or a certificate actually matters in real life. And in our case, what we realize in India is that employers genuinely do not give a damn about whether your program is a degree or a certificate or a diploma or whatever, till the time you satisfy their questions. In, in so far as visa goes, all we need to do is basically get ourselves equated through these international agencies or international accrediting bodies like WACSP, WNS, EACBS. These are basically bodies that equate your credits to international universities, which we have already done. Wow. So you're saying actually countries abroad are far more liberal towards what they consider education. We're so obsessed with the brand of the school, the brand of the college, the brand mattering to employers. I think the brand of the college still matters. What doesn't matter is whether that brand is backed by a degree or a certificate or a whatever XYZ. ISB has never given a degree. ISB is not UGC recognized, yet ISB is considered to be one of the top schools. Masters Union, we have thousands of kids applying every year. We have Bain, BCG, McKinsey, Racket, all of these companies coming and recruiting. And we have never claimed to give a degree. How old is Masters Union now, Pratham? We are just two years old. You're just two years old. That's horribly young. That's, you mean you only have the second batch of students? The second batch graduated which is for what Sanjeevji had actually visited the campus, yeah. Okay. You've already got all of these big, heavy names coming to you for recruitment. Still, how did you go about building this brand master's union, apart from the fact that you were housed there at Cyberpark? No, I think at the end of the day, it's all about the product. I think we're a classic case of product-led branding rather than marketing-led branding or brand-led marketing. So at the end of the day, if our students get placed well and if our students are valued by the industry and if our students are starting great companies that are being funded, 
And if those averages and means and medians are higher than our competition, then automatically the brand will get made. Right? Now, in the very first year, we were able to bring in Bain, BCG and McKinsey on the backs of our students doing really well in their uh, interviews and in their internships to the point that they all came back the next year to the point that they all came back the year after that. So this is the third year that Bain BCG have recruited from us. Now, just to give you context, they only go to maybe three or four other colleges in India. So if we are the, amongst the five or six colleges that they come to in the very first year of our execution, that automatically lends itself to the brand. People automatically start talking about it. And we are not a funded company, right? Bootstrapped completely. And so we do not have any marketing budgets. Our only marketing that we do is essentially release our placement report and release our entrepreneurship report. Our internal KPI is that how many entrepreneurs are we creating at the end of the day? That's what a business school should be doing. It should not be just preparing job seekers, but also job creators. So we also release an entrepreneurship report. And in the very first year, we had almost 15% of our student body start up and actually raise funding. That went down in our second year a little bit because the market wasn't as good, but it's coming back up again in our third year and should touch 20%. And just to give you context, at Wharton, this number was less than 1%. Out of a class of 900, there were only four people who started up. The rest all got jobs. So as a business school, if we're not teaching you anything, if not how to do business and how to build businesses, right? But a lot of corporates are also now looking for entrepreneurial skills. I mean, it's important to have entrepreneurial thinking, even if you are doing a job and training yourself at some point in time to become a more mature, a more steady job creator rather than a job seeker. But irrespective, the fact that you have this mindset at the core is very interesting, that you're looking to create entrepreneurs and encouraging kids and preparing them very actively to do this. And, and why this space was empty. When you want to build a brand, you have to find an empty space, right, to build a brand in. And we realized that we have these job seeker schools in India in the form of IMs and ISB. There is no job creator school in India. It just doesn't exist. I think it all boils down to finally learning by doing, right? I mean, why is it that family businesses produce some of the smartest guys who are running very big businesses in the country and are actually making a lot more money than the suited booted corporate varieties? It's quite simply because they are doing what makes the big money. I'll give you an example. So in a third year, in fact, we have a student, her name is Yukta. And as part of one of the challenges, she built a, a literal kiosk where she's selling Golgappas. Like as simple as that. And it's called Soul Gappa. And she has made it super interesting. She's designed it really nicely. It's like a subway or like a Domino's, but for Golgappas. Okay. And she's clocking like amazing revenues. I don't know what her most recent yesterday's revenue is, but like she's clocking revenues in tens of thousands daily. She's done this on campus. Yeah, she's just doing it outside of the campus in Gurugaon. And now she's trying to make it a wow momo like Jane. And she's fully focused on branding. She's fully focused on marketing. Whenever she's in any class, all her questions are about her business, right? How does this apply to my business? She's never going to forget, for example, I teach a course called Interactive Content Marketing, just something that I did in my previous life. And I teach that course, and I'm not kidding, in the class, all her assignments, all her questions, all her applications were around her own business. She's never going to forget what I taught because she actually used it in the evening. So this is fantastic. And I think with colleges like yours, or like Ashoka has this center for entrepreneurship and kids do a minor in entrepreneurship. They actually pick courses in entrepreneurship. So they're also learning from all industry practitioners. This is going to become something that corporates will start seeing a lot of value in. It's not just about kids aspiring to become entrepreneurs. Shark Tank has also created a lot of that culture now. 
in India. But I think it's going to change how recruiters recruit largely and it will change what corporates look for and how corporates do business internally as well. Like like I know a lot of corporates actually have what they call on entrepreneurship wing separately to incubate young ideas and young brands and see where it goes and park money separately on new innovations. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, going back to your question about brand, right? I think if we can maintain placements, if we can provide this learning experience, which has an NPS of, let's say, more than 80, 85, and if we can engage with these practitioners on a daily basis, you know, the brand itself gets built, right? Because students write about it on LinkedIn. The practitioners write about it on LinkedIn. Oh, correct. Absolutely. After all, a brand is nothing but what the buzz is about it. It isn't what people say, relevant people say about the product. That is all that the brand is. So you're absolutely right. Then another very interesting thing that I've learned about brands in education, two of them actually, I'd love to share those with you. One is that in education, once a brand is built, it's very difficult to unseat it. No matter what an I am Lucknow might do today, very hard for it to beat I am Ahmedabad, right? Because the brand is now set in stone almost. So in education, brands are basically there for life. Oxford, Cambridge, a thousand years. Harvard, Stanford, almost 200 years, 300 years, right? They last. It's very hard to unseat them once you build a good one. Number one. Number two, once you're tier two, you can never be tier one, right? So from the very first year, we knew that, hey, if we are second to I'm Ahmedabad in our first year, we'll always be second to that. Because the best students will then go to a college that's perceived to be more highly ranked. So in the very first year, we had to beat Ahmedabad in their average placements, which is a big indicator of student success. Wow, that is a lot of competitive pressure. Yeah, that was on us. But then the thing is that we actually didn't have a lot of competition because guess what? In Ahmedabad, they do not have a placements team. It's just students who run placements here and there. There is no structured process. Here, we hired a bunch of really smart folks. Our placement team is almost 25 people and they're all former salespeople. They go and sell our students. Right? It's a structured process, something that no other business school does. right? And so in that sense, we actually did not have competition, if you know what I mean. right? That's very interesting. That's another very cool example of challenger thinking. You're saying that it wasn't the students. It's not the students running the placement wing. You actually have hired professional folks who actually did sales earlier. Give me an example of a typical profile of someone who sits in your placement wing and sells students, like you say. I'll actually give you a very good example. Mehek Garg, she was a former founder at a company called Uday. They had raised 15 million for their company from Norwest, from AlphaWave, from all these top investors. She had to shut down her company after COVID. She's a Stanford GSB alum. She finished her MBA from Stanford. She is the one who is leading placements for us. That's her core KPI, just placements. And you can just imagine what her team would be like. Our team actually has people who've done sales, who, are, who come themselves from MDI, <laughs> or from ISB, or from even HEC Paris. They are the ones who are working with students, making sure their CVs are spick and span. We shortlist for the company. We don't do all the placements on one day and put that pressure on the students. We do them over six months. We don't have these placement policies that, hey, once you get one offer, you cannot sit for another offer, all of that stuff. It's a normal sales process. We have around 160 products. We think of our students as products, right? And we say, hey, listen, this is how much this product should be sold for. And then we try and make sure that product is sold for that much. We are fighting for the student. We are negotiating for the student. We are batting on the same side as the student. So very different way of thinking. So you have a batch of 160 students. And is this a residential course? Yeah, yeah, fully residential. It's a fully residential course. Everyone lives together. Everyone dines together. All of that. Fabulous. And that's how they're building businesses together as well. Yeah, yeah. 
and if you come to campus you'll see that even the classroom structure that we have it's not like a traditional one where there's a stage and there's chairs on the other side our classrooms are all uh, square tables and round tables and workshop tables so it's it's, it's very very interesting So you've innovated in terms of what an MBA should actually be about. It should not be pedantic. It should not be academic. It should actually be about practical doing. You're saying I want to create more job creators and not job seekers. I'm going to sell my students like products and have a sales team that gets them the right price that they deserve. Then you're saying even in terms of what you're offering as products itself, the bunch of courses that you just narrated are very different from what one gets to hear in any other college. And you're saying even my classes are not the same as a typical class where there is this equation established on who's superior, who's teaching and who's learning and everybody look learning as individuals. Over here you're saying it's more a workshop approach. Let me give you an example, right? I'm sure in your corporate career you would have done or attended so many of these corporate trainings right sure of course and what i've always learned about corporate trainings is that they are incredibly hands on because they cannot waste an employee's time because an employee is being paid for the time so they are always to the point they are quick and scrappy and they get the work done they're not about beating around the bush they're not about lecturing they're not about exams they're not about grades they're not about any of this they're about actual learning because the chr is going to ask whether my team actually became better after this particular thing not whether they passed an exam and that's how we also think about our brand right that we are essentially a bunch of corporate trainings put together in an mba program fabulous it's very strange how the academic world is so removed from reality and part of the problem also is that the education industry actually doesn't attract the best of talent a lot of it is also related to just pay scales i mean if you you can't expect practitioners to either give up jobs or to give the substantial time if it simply doesn't pay and i think if just that were to be changed then educational institutes would be able to attract better talent and this is not just for colleges i'm saying this even for schools money is one thing for sure the other is also these are busy people if for example right now The chairman of my board is Manoj Kohli. He's a former CEO of Airtel. He sits on 30 boards. He ran SoftBank in India for the last 10 years or whatever. Now the thing is that he's busy, but he wants to teach. Now what we need to do as an institution is work around his schedule and work around his timing and his convenience. So we have classes going all up till like 10 p.m. at night or weekends. In fact, we have more classes on weekends than we have on weekdays. Right? and students love it right because they'll take manoj kohli's time whenever they can get it they don't care whether it's a morning evening sunday saturday diwali holi whatever it is right so what we have done is we have said hey listen in a traditional university setting you have to have classes slotted right that has to be monday wednesday friday or tuesday thursday at 2 pm it's on the professor to make his or her schedule work we have just reversed it we said hey listen we will make our calendar work as per your schedule and that solves half the problems right more often than not is logistics now i'm sure practitioners would love to teach at ahmedabad but no not everybody can travel to ahmedabad every week and teach and that's why we decided to build ourselves in the middle of this business district where magnolias where most of the people live is 6 minutes away by car or cyber park we are literally situated here where people just have to take the elevator down and teach i mean it just takes 2 minutes fabulous so pratham this has been a fantastic recording in fact i employ the thinking for all of the projects that i work on with different clients and one of the fundamental premises of challenger marketing is that you question everything that you challenge category codes what you've just narrated on this episode is exactly that you've been able to 
rethink education at so many different levels in terms of the product, the way you sell your products, like you say, what you offer, what you're doing for the teachers, the end output of what you want to get to. It's fascinating. I think about challenger marketing, I think one thing I'd love to say is that if you were a challenger, you were anyway spoken about a lot more, right? And that in itself lends to the branding. True. Uh, I don't know if you read the Ken, but the Ken wrote about us just because we were a challenger. There are hundreds of other business schools that they could have written about, right? but they only wrote about us. And that's because of the positioning that we have. We attract PR without even doing anything. We don't have a PR agency. <laughs> but I think we get written about the most just by virtue of being a challenger. And it's not about being a challenger for the sake of being a challenger. Yeah. Your product has to stand out. Otherwise, it doesn't come this is in the words of uh, Tanmay Bhatt. He says this, sponsorship. <laughs> Who, by the way, teaches a course on viral advertising on campus. Oh, he does? Okay, that's interesting. And what he does is very interesting. He would teach the course, which is a very short course. It's a non-credited course, in fact. And then he would ask students to present to him a campaign for one of his clients. It only has one criteria, which has to be the ad has to catch me off guard and it has to be incredibly funny. That's his uh, brief to the students. And only then will it have any prospect of going viral. And then he would bring the actual founder of that company, of that client company to the campus. So just last week, we did a recording where he actually brought Aman of Boat to judge the student pitches for Boat's new trimmer that they have come up with. And Aman actually ended up funding one of the campaigns. And the students were like, wait, are we actually like presenting a pitch to Aman himself. And Aman actually took apart kids really badly. He hardly liked anything and he gave very brutal feedback, which was great for the students. Fabulous. So what you're doing is brilliant. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Mani. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Cherry Peach Plum. Vani and her team of marketeers and problem solvers at Cherry Peach Plum help businesses solve a wide range of growth challenges by utilizing proven marketing playbooks. Get in touch with us via cherrypeachplum.in if you want to take your brand to the next level. I hope you liked my show. And if you did, please do consider subscribing. I also have a YouTube channel by the same name, Marketing by Vani. Please do check that out too. Thank you. <laughs> How badly can she screw up one line? <laughs> okay.